You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. My name's Jake. I'm an associate pastor here at Schweitzer. And uh, this last week, I was in Kentucky at Asbury, which is the seminary that I'm going to right now, and I, uh, they, they fit an entire class into a week, which is super fun. Um, the class that I took was liturgical theology, which is uh, fancy for, for theology of worship. Um, so I am prepared this morning to worship. Oh, man, I, we just sat in class for like hours, and I just want to worship uh, with my community. Really glad to be here this morning. And, and, you know, the one thing, before we really get into this sermon, um, that I want to say uh, is that I was reminded again and again this last week um, of how important it is that we collectively do the work of worship together. Um, in the Western church, um, it's a shame that worship has become uh, going to hear uh, what the preacher has to say because I'm telling you, you don't want to hear what I have to say. All right, and that's a burden that I can't carry. That's a burden that weighs me down someday. Every, it weighs every preacher down sometimes. What we all need is, is to hear what, what God has to say. And, and beyond that, what if I just stood up here and, and talked this morning uh, about God's goodness and his love for you? Would that be enough for you to worship? You know, what if the music isn't uh, perfect, and what if it doesn't stir you up emotionally? Would you leave here feeling that we really worshiped? What worship is, first and foremost, um, is honoring God, regardless of what we feel, regardless of what we learn that day. It is giving God what he deserves, the praise that he deserves, and that's something that we can all do. And it's something that I need your help doing this morning. So would you pray with me real quick as we prepare to hear this message? Um, God, uh, KJ already prayed most of this. Uh, I'm going I'm to repeat it. Just, just bless us. Um, help me to be your vessel uh, for your word and not my own. And I pray that you open our ears and our eyes and our hearts um, this morning so that we might, uh, <laughs> that we might be moved and empowered to further glorify you. In your name, we pray. Amen. So a few weeks back, my wife was sick. She was uh, feeling under the weather. And so I'm going to the store uh, to get some groceries. Walgreens is like the worst place to buy groceries, by the way. But, uh, but I'm going to Walgreens, and she says, Jake, will you get me some Cheez-Its? You know, Cheez-Its, little small cheese-type crackers, square crackers. Um, and she, she asked me like four times, reminded me, because I have a trouble listening sometimes. And so I'm going to the store, and she'd said it three times. She even texted me, don't forget the Cheez-Its. And every time she said Cheez-Its, I was listening, but my mind was thinking Cheez-Ritz, which are, you know, like the little small Ritz crackers with cheese sandwiched in the middle in between them. So that's what my mind's thinking. So I get to the store, um, excited because I'm like, I remembered what she wants. And I go to Walgreens and all they've got, first of all, in, in the cheese ritz that I'm looking at, they've got, they don't have one little pack. They've got a whole box of them of like 10 or 20. It's 10 bucks. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, but then I'm, I'm about to take them off the shelf and I say, oh no, did she say cheese ritz or peanut butter ritz? And I'm looking at the two 
saying, I can't remember what type of Ritz crackers you wanted, and all they've got is like these $10 boxes, and so being the good husband that I am, I just go ahead and I take both of the boxes of Ritz, and I go home cheese it lists, right? And uh, so I find out when I get home that I, I failed uh, miserably to bring home what she actually wanted. I, I wasted $20. You know, it's just so frustrating. You know, I listened. I tried. Sometimes, no matter how hard you try, you just can't get it right. This morning, we're going to talk about uh, frustration, a very common human experience. And I'm going to give you a couple definitions, throw them up on the screen. Uh, the first definition is the feeling of being upset or annoyed, especially because of an inability to change or achieve something. All right, so the first one is a feeling that we get when we are incapable or feel incapable of changing or achieving something. Second definition, the prevention of the progress, success, or fulfillment of something. So these two are very closely related, right? The first definition is the feeling that you get when the second thing happens, when our progress or success or fulfillment of something is hindered. Right? This is what uh, David Freeman, who's preaching in the next service, uh, what he calls the thwarting event, thwarting our plans, right? So these are kind of, this is where I want your mind to go with frustration this morning. And a quick note um, is that feelings are fickle. And feelings are unreliable. All right? And, and in fact, uh, feelings are just human. So even though the feeling of frustration uh, kind of sucks, it's a reality. In fact, I would even argue that God gets frustrated at times. Wouldn't you think? All these humans doing things that he doesn't want us to do that hurt us, that hurt him, that hurt others, right? It'd be frustrating. It's free will. All right? So, so it's not always bad to, to feel frustrated, to be frustrated. It's a reality of life, and we're not going to talk this morning uh, about how to rid you of frustration. We'll get there in, in a minute, okay? But, so a month ago, uh, I sent out a Google survey on Facebook or whatever, and I had people anonymously answer this question, what's the greatest cause of frustration in your life? Here's some of these answers. See if you can relate. Not being able to change the way others think about me. My church relationship to the church and not feeling like I belong anymore. The way that people treat each other. This world and the violence and the hatred and the conflict. And it's like, we can't, it's out of our control. That's frustrating. My plans being interrupted. Dating and romantic relationships. Marriage. It's fairly general, but if anyone's married, you've, you've likely been frustrated at times. Being so busy that I don't have time to get things done. Being limited to my own knowledge. I'm surprised no one on this list said anything about work. Uh, I, I love my job, don't get me wrong, uh, but because I love it, I get very frustrated at times because I care. Work can be incredibly frustrating, and a lot of us work with other people who we can't control. You know what I'm saying? So one of mine uh, is my... One of my frustrations that commonly happens is my inability to write sermons as fast as I'd like. Uh, on Christmas Eve, I, I planned on getting eight weeks ahead of, of that sermon. I start writing eight weeks ahead, um, thinking, I'm going to get ahead of this. I'm going to help the worship team out, and it'll be done way in advance. And uh, three hours before I preached a sermon, I, I rewrote half of it. I mean, I'm not kidding. It's like that's when God decided to give me the word that he wanted to say. It's so frustrating. You get the idea. So frustration is real. 
It is a real human experience. Anyone who, who cares about anything, anyone who desires to improve or to strive or to achieve or accomplish, uh, anyone who's got dreams, plans, ideals, anyone who cares about anything or anyone experiences at times frustration when outcomes are out of our control, right? When success is harder than it should be. So I want you to take a moment now to ask yourself this very same question. What is the greatest cause of frustration in your life? Think about that. Now, what would you do to get rid of that frustration? What would you do to overcome, to gain control, to gain the power? What would you do for that that miracle that you need for the, the breakthrough moment when things finally go your way, when things finally work out the way that you think they're supposed to? What would you do for that? As I prepared for this sermon, I searched the scriptures, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. Sorry, I'm going to fix my mic here. And I said, God, what... What's this golden nugget of information that you want me to to, to tell everyone here today? What's the fix-all solution to frustration that I can share with the congregation? And I'm just going to be honest with you, there isn't one. I don't think you're surprised by that. There isn't one. And so instead of talking about frustration as some type of obstacle to overcome, as a, a problem that needs to be solved, that's not what it is, okay? We're going to talk about frustration today as an opportunity to take advantage of. We're going to talk about it uh, specifically as, as a reminder to reorient ourselves to some essential truths that will change the way that we live. And if we do this, frustration will no longer be a barrier to us. It'll be a compass that points us in the right direction. And in fact, it may, it may even be uh, a portal through which we can move forward into a deeper relationship with God and a fulfilling life. That's what frustration can become, and that's the way we're going to talk about it today, all right? It's not something to be avoided or overcome. Okay, and we're going to do this uh, by reading through Psalm 33. It's a great psalm. I've like, do you ever go somewhere in your Bible, and I've been in, I've been in this psalm for like, five months. I just can't leave. Every morning I'm reading Psalm 32, Psalm 33, and uh, still speaking to me every day. So um, I would encourage you to look at the screens as we read through this. We're going to do some select passages in Psalm 33 and bounce around a little bit, so that's going to be the easiest way to follow. We're going to start in verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, if you're like me, uh, as, as I just read that, it went through one ear and out the other. Can anyone admit that that just happened to you? Through one ear and out the other? Okay, thanks, man. Honesty is good. Uh, that's okay. Let's read this again. I want you to listen with me. For the word of the Lord is upright. That means honest. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. You ever doubted whether or not God cares? 
Have you ever doubted God's intentions or his motives in your life? Have you ever wondered whether or not God cares to see you thrive, to see your family thrive? Have you ever doubted whether or not he really cares to see this church thrive? I know that when circumstances aren't uh, as I would like them to be, I often ask myself this question, God, are you, are you testing me? Is this a test? Are you trying to teach me something? And am, I, am I in trouble here? What's going on, God? And I kind of I get, get angry a little bit with him. I did a word study um, in the Bible as I was preparing this sermon about the word frustration. And throughout the whole Bible, you might be surprised to hear, as I was, that frustration is only found, um, depending on which translation you use, about 10 to 15 times in all of Scripture. And the majority of the times that frustration is found is when God is frustrating the plans of people. Interesting, isn't it? I don't, you know, I don't know exactly what that says. I'm not going to make any general statements. Um, but there are times when God is the culprit of frustrating our plans. That's a reality. And there are times when he's not. There are times where he's just as frustrated uh, as you are. And there are all kinds of things like natural disasters, like natural consequences of life and our own shortcomings and, and other people in our lives and their shortcomings. There's all these reasons, right, that our plans get thwarted, that our plans get frustrated. And, and the point, the important thing to remember here is that um, even when God frustrates our plans, even when it really is God, he never does it maliciously. Ever. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. His work is always done in faithfulness to you and me. See, the way I see it is that the day God stops thwarting my plans is the day that he stops loving me. Right? I, I do not want God allow, to allow me to live my life the way that I want to live it without ever stepping in the way and saying, Jake, you're going the wrong direction. I do not want God to let me pursue my plans and to do my will without ever getting in the way and saying, Jake, stop, I won't let you do this. He's doing it out of love. Even when God is against you, he's for you. You get what I'm saying? The whole earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. So let frustration be a reminder of God's love for you. When you start getting frustrated, let it be a reminder of God's love for you. And let it point us to the goodness and the kindness and the faithfulness of God. Let's read on. We're going to read verses 6 through 9 and then 13 through 15. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. 
The Lord looks down from heaven, he sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. So the first half of what I'm reading here, right? By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Um, He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. Uh, Let all the earth fear the Lord and stand in awe of him. He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. This is the power of God that we're we're talking about here. And it's not uh, a difficult concept for us to understand, even if you don't believe it. It's not tough to understand, all right, that, that there's nothing that God cannot do. He can technically accomplish anything, right? God has the power um, to change any circumstance in your life like that. He has the power to to heal you. He has the power to to save you. He has the power to do anything, create things out of nothing. God, there's nothing he can't do. Right? You're with me. We get it. God's all-powerful. But listen to these other verses again. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. What we're talking about here, what the scripture's talking about here, is God's, not his power, his perspective. And as easy as it is to conceive of God's power, it is so difficult. In fact, I would say it is inconceivable. It is impossible to understand God's perspective. And yet we say things like, if God has the power to do X, Y, or Z, Why wouldn't he? If God has the power to help me overcome, why wouldn't he? If God has the power to make this situation like this, if God has the power to bring about uh, righteousness and peace on earth, X, Y, Z, then why wouldn't he? I can't understand, God. Why wouldn't you? And there's nothing wrong with asking questions, right? There's nothing wrong uh, with with seeking answers and and questioning God and wanting to know the truth. But often, my questioning of God becomes criticism of God, right? And like so many other things, I'm, I'm overly critical of that which I don't understand, which is his perspective. I mean, he sees and knows all things, and how everything is connected, and how every event affects every other event. He sees and knows it all, and yet we're bold enough to say things like, if I had the power to do that, then I would. And maybe that's true. We would if we had the power. But what if we had his perspective? Something that we cannot possibly even begin to understand. And to this point, let frustration... For this reason, let frustration remind us of our finitude, finitude, whatever, of our uh, finite humanity. Let it remind us not to understand God, but to stand in awe of God. Let frustration remind us to, to bend the knee humbly before him and say, God, I don't understand, but I know you do. And I know that you love me and you have my best interests in mind. I will worship you forever. Let's move on. We're now in verses 10 through 12 and verses 16 through 18. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. 
It's a bold statement. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. This particular passage, or that part of it, reminds me of the Tower of Babel. Or Babel. I say Babel. Um, it's a story in, in Genesis chapter 11 that some of you might remember, and here's how it goes. Um, all the inhabitants of the earth were in one place, and they all spoke the same language, all right? And what these people say is they say, let us uh, build a city for ourselves, and let us make a tower that reaches up into the heavens so that we might na- make a name for ourselves, is what they say. And they seek out to do this, and they start building the city. They start building the tower, and here's where the story gets interesting. And this, this passage, is, or this verse is often overlooked. Here's what God says. God sees it, and he says, this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Like, God recognizes that these creatures that he created, they're all together, and they're all helping each other, and they speak the same language, and they're, they're cooperating, etc., and, uh, and they start building this thing, and he says, there is nothing that will be impossible for them. And on the one hand, this is incredibly empowering. I'm just incredibly empowering when you think about the power that God gave to humanity, what it is that we're capable of doing, especially when we work together, what it is we're capable of accomplishing and overcoming, and whoo, I can do anything, right? But then we read on, and what does God do? He spreads them out across the face of the earth, and he confuses their language, and I'm guessing he destroyed the tower. It doesn't say that, but I'm guessing. God says, no, I will not let you finish this project in your name. This thing that you decided to do for yourselves, to make a name for yourselves, I won't do it. You see, uh, all the inhabitants of the earth, what they had, they had the power They had the knowledge, they had the resources, they had the time apparently. They had everything that they needed except for one thing, which was a love for God and a desire to do his will. It's the one thing that they didn't have. And so God did not give them his blessing or his favor. I mean, how often do we say things like, If I only had the time, if I only had the power, if I only had the money, if I only was attractive enough, if I was only smart enough, if my life circumstances weren't this way, if only, then then I wouldn't have these problems. Listen to this. A king is not saved by his great army. 
Think of that. If you were a king 3,000 years ago and you were getting ready to go into war and you wanted to win, what's the one thing that you'd want more than anything else? A great army. But the king is not saved by his great army. It says a soldier isn't delivered by his great strength. If you were a soldier going into battle and you wanted to get home safely, what's the one thing you'd want more than anything? Strength, power, speed, agility, alertness, all the things you need to fight. But those won't deliver you. Those won't bring you home safely. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his steadfast love. Anything else that we look to for hope, anything else that we look to for security, anything else that we look to for freedom is false. And without God, we will always, always, always end up empty-handed Empty-handed. But when we do desire, above all else, to love God and to make his name great, to see him glorified, we will always be full. We will always find success, not in this like superficial, shallow way we tend to think of success, but the most deep, profound meaning of success and frustration would be no big thing. This is the appeal that Jesus Christ makes to us on the cross. And this is the, the work that he accomplishes for us on the cross. See, Jesus, he says, he says, look to me. Come to me. Follow me. Die with me. And I will free you from the sin that binds you. I will free you from all of the things that oppress you and hold you down. I will free you to live a life that's full. Put your faith in me, Jesus says, and I will send my Holy Spirit to empower you to live not your own way of living life, but the life that God has created you to live. Only in me, Jesus says. Only in me and through me and my grace and my love. Is that possible? With my help, he says, you will succeed. With the help of my Holy Spirit, you will overcome. You will find victory in the risen Christ. So let frustration be a reminder to fix our eyes on the risen Jesus Let frustration be a reminder to place our lives in his hands and rely completely on his grace. To fix our eyes on the risen Jesus. I recently received a prayer uh, from a friend who, who works here. And this prayer was unique in a couple ways. Um, one is that he laid his hands on me. Um, there's something about, very biblical, too, about laying your hands on someone and, and giving and receiving prayer that way. Um, God can really work through that. And if you've never experienced that before, I, really, I encourage you to, when, when service is over sometime or today, to go receive that. 
Receive prayer where someone lays their hands on you. You can ask for that. But the second thing that was uh, unique about this, this prayer is that it was a prayer of Scripture. It's from uh, the book of Ephesians, um, and it's a prayer that, that the Apostle Paul prayed over the church in Ephesus that we have right here. And my, my friend uh, David, he had, he had memorized this verse over years of his life, and um, he's used it in many situations to pray this prayer over people, situations of great difficulty and frustration. Um, and he prayed it over me with his hands on me, and guys, it is a powerful, powerful prayer. The thing that I love about it is that the Apostle Paul, you'll hear it here in a minute, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't um, pray that God will, will fix all their problems. He doesn't pray that God will free them from all their afflictions. He doesn't pray that God will, um, you know, strengthen them to, to overcome or whatever. What he prays for is for them to be filled with the love of Christ. What he prays for is for them to be filled with faith in Christ. What he prays for is to to know the love of God and to be filled with the fullness of God and ultimately for God to be glorified. It's completely reorientation. We we think we've got all of these these problems and these issues and these things to overcome and do and whatever, and, and it's this prayer that just reorients us. It just says, look, here's what really matters. And it's a prayer that I believe that God will always answer. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like one volunteer... like one volunteer to come up and uh, sit here right on the steps and I'm going to lay my hands on this volunteer and not only demonstrate how this might be done, but I want you all to receive this prayer as well, just as I did. I want you to feel the hands of Christ on your shoulders as I pray over whoever this person is. Yeah, come on up, Blaine. Thanks for your boldness, bro. Can I go ahead and just sit right here? Yeah, can you turn around? Yeah, thanks. All right, now, everyone here, feel the the hands of Christ on you. You can leave your your eyes open or closed. You can bow your head, keep it. It doesn't doesn't matter. What I want you to do is identify that one thing in your life, that greatest cause of frustration. Identify it and hold it up before God. Got it? For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, to him be glory forever in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.